This is Chapter 1 of The War on Waste Paradox, read by Len Bertain. A quote from John Steinbeck's East of Eden. And this I believe, that the free exploring mind of the individual human is the most valuable thing in the world. And this I would fight for, the freedom of the mind to take any direction it wishes undirected. And this I must fight against, any idea, religion, or government, or corporation, the author's words, which limits or destroys the individual. This is what I am and what I am about. The phone rang abruptly at 2.30 in the morning. I bolted up and grabbed it. My wife was alarmed by the disturbance and set up in a daze. She brushed the sand from her eyes and watched me answer the phone. It was my father, and he had bad news. Across the hall in his room, the baby stirred and then whimpered with the interruption of his sleep. My friend Charlie had just been killed in an automobile crash after a heavy bout with the bottle. According to the highway patrol, he had hit a tree near our old drinking establishment. He died shortly after arriving at the hospital. Charlie and I had worked at Osgoods, a local manufacturing company of machinists, and life had been pretty good. We hunted together and fished every lake and stream within 300 miles of our homes. Although he was closer to my father's age, he had become my friend at work and play. Our lives changed when Osgood's closed. We were suddenly out of work, and what a miserable experience that was. My wife Sandy was pregnant, and having a baby while your husband is unemployed is not a project, prospect for happiness. We were barely surviving. I hung up the phone after hearing my father's news about Charlie. What was I going to say to Phyllis, Charlie's wife? Words really never cut it. I got up and pulled on my clothes. The irony of Charlie's death was that today I was starting a new job, and Charlie wasn't. Charlie had been turned down for the job that I got. I put a pot of coffee on, and the phone rang again. It was Phyllis. She was telling me what had happened. I told her that my father had called moments earlier. As I was talking, she began to cry. I comforted her as best I could. She called to tell me that what Charlie had said to her just before he died. She met the ambulance at the hospital, and just before Charlie died, he told her that I was to get his tools because I was the son he never had. She went on, Charlie told me that you were the best friend he had. And you know what else he said? He told me to call you and wish you well <clears throat> on the new job. She did what he asked and told me to go back to bed. Charlie would want to give it your best in the morning, she said. I know you will miss him, but you need to take care of your family first. Stop by after work and tell me how it went.
I turned the pot off, got undressed, and went back to bed. I couldn't sleep, but I dozed a bit. Why was life so unfair? Morning arrived quickly. I got up and got dressed again. The new job was 40 miles away, and I couldn't be late. I went downstairs to go warm up the truck. As I headed out the kitchen door, I noticed that it was raining. My coat was missing from the clothes rack next to the back porch entrance, and I was going to get soaked. Buddy, my 10-year-old son, loved to wear my coat. Whenever he did, he forgot to put it away. I was angry with him for a moment, and I remembered he was still a little boy. I had the feeling that my first day on the job was going to be an awful day. I headed out to the driveway and opened the door of my truck. It was chilly in the old Dodge pickup as I climbed into the cab. I pumped the gas a couple of times and hit the starter. The battery strained, the engine turned, and the motor gradually came to life. It ran ragged because it needed a tune-up. But the money just wasn't there since I lost my job at Osgood's. Both the defroster and the heater were slow getting going on these cold mornings. I turned them both on and headed back to the house. As I rushed up the back stairs, I could see the sun rising in the distance. I opened the door and walked into the kitchen. Sandy had poured two cups of coffee. She was in her bathroom holding Mickey, our newborn, under her arm. He was a real load for Sandy to carry, but today, smiling and giggling at Sandy, he looked like a cherub. Sandy hated mornings, but most, but usually tried to get up and see me out the door. It had been tough, really tough on her over the last several months. As she held Mickey, he began to squirm and reach in my direction. I grabbed him and gave him a big hug. Buddy was stirring in another room. He heard us talking and realized that I was about to head out the door for my first day on the new job. Kids surprisingly know when events are important to their parents, and Buddy sure knew, he came out to breakfast with Boo, his little yellow teddy bear. Boo has been his sleeping partner for several years. I bought Boo on one of my training trips I had made when I worked at Osgood's. The last few months had been hard on all of us, but especially on Sandy. After Mickey's difficult birth, Sandy went back at her old job working with her mom and dad at their travel agency. Before my layoff, the job had given her a chance to be around her parents and the extra money helped to keep the house fixed up and buy those little things we couldn't quite afford. But my layoff, after my layoff, her job became a necessity. While I was working for wor- looking for work, Sandy never said anything about my not working. Some of my friends were not having it so easy because their wives were on them all the time for being out of work. Sandy just gave me the words of encouragement I needed to hear. We knew everything was going to work out fine. The problem was when. I put down my coffee cup and gave Mickey back to Sandy. I kissed her goodbye and gave Mickey a kiss. Hugged Buddy and Boo. Buddy stood at the window and waved back as I backed down the driveway. I was excited about this opportunity, but miserable over my friend's death. 
This was just not the best way to start a new job. As I drove to the new plant, I thought more about the past. I'd started work at Osgood Manufacturing right out of high school. I'd been a reasonably good student and thought I might go to college, but decided not to. My dad and grandpa had both worked at Osgoods. Having done well in my high school shop classes, it seemed natural to continue the family tradition. My dad worked for Osgoods as a machinist and had a small shop at home where he did odd jobs in the evening and on weekends for businesses in town that need quality, needed quality machine work. He was a good machinist and a good teacher. As a child, I would sit on the bench beside his lathe and watch him work for hours. I loved the smell of cutting oil. I was always curious about the cutting of threads. I could never understand how he turned threads on a piece of metal with such precision. My dad was a good trainer and taught me how to think like a machinist. He introduced me to all his work buddies as I was growing up. I liked to listen to them discuss various ways to make a particular part. They would sit out in Dad's shop and talk for hours as they traded ideas on different ways to work through the manufacture of a part that Dad was working on. They never seemed to argue with each other. After hours of talking, they would finally settle on a solution and complete the part. When I went to work, it looked like a good deal. Osgoods had been in business for years. Jimmy, old man Osgood's son, had just taken over and he was expanding the plant. I joined the union and served my apprenticeship. The old man had ordered several new computer-controlled milling machines, CNC machines, and he wanted me to learn how to program them. I went away to computer school and didn't, didn't like it one bit. I had to spend a lot of time away from Sandy while I was learning. But the training was good because it allowed me to become a journeyman very quickly. Old Mr. Osgood always encouraged all of us to get training. With his help, I took some engineering and computer-aided machining courses at the local community college supported by the union. Computers were very discouraging to me. I found out later they were discouraging to most people. I really had a hard time figuring out the best way to write programs to make the different parts. I remember calling Osgood to tell him that I just wasn't cutting it and that he ought to get another guy to take my place. I'll never forget what he said to me. Stick with it, son. You can do it. It may not be easy. We didn't say it would be. We need you to learn that job so we can improve our product line. Just learn what you can now. If you have to go back a second time to learn it a little more, don't worry about it. He was really a supportive boss. That's the end of part one of chapter one. Stay tuned.